Hi, I'm the self-development coach, Johnny Lawrence, and welcome to the Self-Development Podcast. I think part of the human condition and psyche looking at, you know, we want the obvious fix. We want the quick fix. We want the thing that we know works. But oftentimes the things that make the biggest difference are the, the like cumulative net effect of all of these small habits and things that we do, these practices, these, you know, subtle little ways that we speak to ourselves. That is what creates a shift in how you feel. On today's episode, I'm chatting with breathwork coach and founder of The Breath Space, Jamie Clements. Having discovered breathwork four years ago, the practice had a profound impact on him. Jamie found that it significantly improved his physical and mental well-being and helped him move through severe anxiety and panic attacks. He truly believes that breathwork is the most universal, powerful and accessible tool to change our bodies and minds and live healthier, happier lives. Having now trained in different modalities of breathwork, he believes in teaching across the full spectrum, including functional breathing, performance breathing, nervous system regulation, and deep healing modalities of breath. Jamie started the breath space as an accessible way for anyone to experience this blossoming area of healing and personal growth. growth. And his goal is to provide you with the tools to work it into your daily life as well as creating an environment to go deeper and understand new elements of yourself. How are you today, Jamie? I'm doing really well, thanks, mate. Yeah, it's uh, uh, slightly... Oh, it's actually gotten sunny. I was going to say a rainy Friday, but yeah, it's, it's brightened up a little bit. So yeah, no, it's been, a, it's been a good week. And yeah, I'm happy to be here having a chat with you. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to this. I, I think uh, we share a few sort of uh, similar ethoses on life. So I think it's going to be a, a really fun conversation. I'm glad it's sunny for you, though. I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be a bit of a hater and say it's raining outside. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I live in Cornwall, like I was told that it's sunny, but it rains all the time. Yeah. <laughs> same. Just rains all of the time. But um, how's things going, man? The breast space and all that, is, you know, it's going from strength to strength. How's, how's things going there? Yeah, it's been a, a an amazing start to the year. I think um, I one of my goals for this year was to get better at reflecting. So I always always kind of like these questions. Um, I'm very good at moving forward and not always good at kind of looking at how I got here and 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 reflecting and celebrating those things. So um, yeah, things things are really really good. I think um, you know it's an exciting time for for the breathwork space as a whole. Um, and I'm, you know, fortunate to be a part of that and a part of that conversation. Um, and on a personal level, yeah, just been a, a really lovely start to the year. Lots going on. Uh, I've sort of had these first three months of being in London, um, fairly kind of barely settled in one spot. And then starting from April onwards, I've got a lot of moving around, a lot of retreats, a lot of travel, um, which again, I'm very excited about, but I'm also aware that things are going to get pretty crazy pretty quickly. Yeah, that's one of the things, isn't it? Um, with self-development, we like to create a feeling of control. Um, but I think what we always have to be aware of, um, and I'm sure you know this, is that there is no such thing. <laughs> and it's just that reminded to yourself every now and again, oh yeah, I've uh, fooled myself again to believe in that I can control stuff, but I can't. <laughs> yeah, and just like looking and being like, oh, why, why am I really having a tough time at the moment? Oh yeah, it's because I'm trying to control things that are outside of my control. Brilliant. Yeah. Been yeah. here a thousand times before and will be here a thousand times again, um, kidding myself into the illusion of control. So um, yeah, just always trying. I had a moment probably two, three weeks ago where I was I was just having a, I was in a weird headspace. I was, you know, worrying about, you know, I was worrying about money. I was worrying about, you know, little, little nitty gritty things that didn't normally get to me. And I just realized I was just obsessing over, over control. I was just really trying so hard to control everything and I was doing myself damage. And yeah. I think I just I had a really lovely reminder from a friend and sort of colleague of mine, just that word surrender, just like oh. surrender, surrender, surrender oh. with a plan. Uh, it's this like beautiful midsection as, as you talked about as well of like that you, you want to let go. You want to surrender but you need to have a plan and you need to have systems. And so it's just that constant kind of ebb and flow between those two, um, yeah. which is all part of the game. It's all part yeah. of the fun. It's always about trying to create that harmony, isn't it? Um, just that harmony between 
helping people, but not helping people so much that you take a lot of yourself away. And it's like, you know, I recognize one of the things I resonate with you about is I can see that, like, let's be honest, I'm not talking negatively about anybody in particular, but you know, there are people that are in the self-help industry and that their intention isn't to help people. It's, it's, it's something different and that's okay. That that's fine. But when you see somebody and you resonate with somebody who just loves helping people gets everything from that, it's, it can be a quite addictive feeling to, to help somebody, to know that you can, to know that you have this tool, this talent, this, this way with words, whatever it is that resonates with people and allows them to, to give themselves the permission to feel better about whatever it is that's bothering them. And you have that, you have that in you, you have that, that breath work, but not only that, you're an incredible communicator. And I think that those things together, along with many other things, I'm sure, I can see how you could get carried away with that feeling and you can start giving more and more of yourself away. And then, scratching your head wondering why you feel a little bit wrecked <laughs> i mean just recently i've 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 been getting i've been waking up at like three in the morning mm. and i don't know why uh, but then i spend the remainder of the of the night thinking about all this stuff and then i go oh that might be why <laughs> yeah you know yeah 100 so- and uh, yeah thank you for for those kind words as well I, I appreciate it mate i really do um it's a it is a fascinating one because i think there's yeah, there is a real, there's, again, it's a fine line. You've got to manage yourself within the the work that you do. And I think it's, it's probably a lesser talked about element of, you know, working in a position of service where you're supporting people and helping people, which is, you know, it, it's, you can lose yourself in it. You can ident- over-identify with it. You can give too much. And I think, you in this pursuit of service to others you can often come to a place where you feel like you it's your duty to and actually you need to serve yourself as well as kind of being able to support other people and i've actually been having some challenges not severe but for the first time in a while some challenges with my sleep as well and i i had eight days in a row and my spiritual friends got well excited about this because i had eight (laughs) days in a row where i woke up and i checked my clock and it was 3.33. Oh, man. Eight yeah. days in a row. And I was like, <laughs> I put it out on my stories. I was like, all right, spiritual friends, what does this mean? Um, and I had all sorts of answers. But um, I also am aware of just the moments where, and this is where I, you know, my own work within my work with others has been really helpful because I can I can feel it in my body. I can feel, you know, my nervous system shifting in a certain way when I am slightly overexerting myself or when I haven't been staying on top of certain practices. And so just being able to actually listen to my body in a lot of ways is is helpful in correcting that stuff. Um yeah. but it just, you know, I think within that there's there's a real it's something I always have to come back to, which is the my role in what i do isn't and i think this is a social media thing as well that we see a lot happening um which is my role isn't to heal somebody my role is to empower somebody to heal themselves and i I think that's that's where it's easy for the ego to get carried away and like where god complexes show up and where that ego inflation comes from in the, the spirituality space and the wellness space where people are like oh i'm healing these people that mm. must mean that I'm Jesus. Yeah. I'm I'm the best person in the world. And actually it's like, nah, you're you you might be really great at what you do, but ultimately our role is to to provide that space for others to help themselves. Um, yes. and I think that's a really important thing that I always just consistently try to remind myself. Um, is that, you know, I'm not special in any way. But at the same time, we're all special in our, in our own little ways. So I think it's just always coming back to that that balance between the two. Yeah, it's that it's that contradiction in life, isn't it, that we often see? Um, yeah, I totally resonate with that. I I I really do because I realized a little while ago I felt the pressure of feeling like I had to help people um, because um, or I had to solve people's problems is probably a better way of putting it. And then I realized that I, I'm not that arrogant. I, I cannot believe that I have got the answer for everybody. That doesn't make sense. But mm-hmm. what I do know is that when people come to you, come to me and they have this problem, they are also revealing to you the answer. But mm. the problem isn't that they don't know what the answer is. The problem is that the answer is hard and yeah. it's scary and yeah. it makes you want to turn away and bury your head in the sand. And that's the problem you're having. You need a bit of, you know, bit of support, a bit of encouragement. 
you know, maybe a bit of more helpful perspective. Maybe you're looking at something in an unhelpful way, you know, and you need a little bit of help looking at it in a more helpful way or a way at mm. least that lets you get somewhere, you know, but yeah. have, you, have you heard, um, Dr. Julia Smith or Dr. Julie Smith, sorry, um, her book, she says something really profound. And she said, um, that all of these things that we do, like exercise, going outside, um, eating healthy, getting good sleep, all of these things that we do are always the first thing to go when we start to go downhill. And yeah. she said, that is like being half time in a football game and taking off all your defensive players. She mm -hmm. said, like, it might not turn the end of the game, but it will control how much you lose, mm -hmm. you know? And I thought that was such a lovely way to put it because it is, she's right, you know? Like, you stop sleeping, you, then you stop, then you just want to sit and watch Netflix and eat more teasers. And yeah. I get it. In principle, I get it. It makes sense, yeah. but it's not going to help. It's not going to help. Absolutely. Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's this funny, I think, part of the human condition and psyche looking at, you know, we want the obvious fix we want the quick fix we want the thing that we know works but mm. oftentimes the things that make the biggest difference are the, the like cumulative net effect of all of these small habits and things that we do these practices these you know subtle little ways that we speak to ourselves that is what creates a shift in how you feel mm. and that because they're small and subtle and quite nuanced in a lot of ways it's easy to let them go because they're not obviously helping so yeah. they're not obviously going to make an impact or we think they're not obviously going to make a negative impact if we let them go. It's like, oh, I'll just, you know, I'll get delivery for dinner every night this week. And, you know, because I, because I, I, you know, I, I can't bring myself to go to the food shop or to cook or to think of what I want to cook. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, why do I feel rubbish? And you almost can't notice it unless you are you know, kind of in that headspace that, that Julie's described of just like, oh, yeah, I need to stay on top of these small things in order for the big picture to stay you know congruent and positive and, and sort of in forward motion so yeah a, a good reminder for myself as well yeah it is hard you know and that's it that's why i'm you know it's very easy for people to put yourself myself and anyone else in a self-help the personal development sphere um as gurus i i, I loathe that a little bit i'm not gonna mm. lie because it's, it's a lot of pressure you know but it, yeah i have got helpful perspective some of it comes from well a lot of it comes from some really unpleasant experiences uh, a lot of it comes from some education by spending time with people like yourselves or people that are knowledgeable about something in a in a really helpful way but a lot of the time that just you know i've got a mentor and he says when education meets experience it creates wisdom Mm. And, I, and I love that because it's true. It's like, it's that missing that gap. We can all look, read a book and go, oh, if I apply that, it'll work. But we also know them subtle nuances of sometimes you don't want to. And it's quite a yeah. powerful feeling. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's a really powerful feeling. But we, I think we've been going for about 10 minutes and we haven't, <laughs> we haven't even got, got into the beat of it yet. But I mean, for those that might not have come across you yet, can you tell people a bit about yourself and your journey so far? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I... I had a very, what I would describe as a very traditional sort of upbringing and childhood. So um, I was pretty academic growing up. I was I was also big into my sport. I played um, football to a high level as a kid and then rugby um, kind of in my teens and early 20s to a, to a high level as well. Um, went to university, got a degree in economics, uh, had grand ambitions of being an investment banker, realized very quickly that that wasn't what I actually wanted. Um and sort of through that period of my late teens and early 20s, I started having some challenges around um, my mental health with uh, depression, anxiety, panic attacks um, that just sort of built up and built up um, into my early 20s. And um, yeah, then I stepped out of the work that I was doing at that time. Um, well, I didn't step out straight away. I... I sought help. I got into therapy. Um, I was getting into yoga, into meditation, into um, lots of different things, um, and then discovered breathwork. And breathwork really was, as, as you mentioned in the intro, sort of the the thing that made the difference to me. It was the 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 real shift. You know, lots of those other practices. You know, I still have a, a pretty steady yoga practice. I still meditate really regularly. All of those are still there, but there was something about breathwork and, and that particular work that that just shifted a huge amount for me and it really opened me up to a, a very uh different experience of life um 
that I'd been lacking for for quite a long time. Um, and then really immersed myself in that world, traveled a little bit with it to experience it in, in different forms, in different ways, in different cultures, and then um, started training, started learning, started, yeah, educating, as you said, sort of combining the experience that I had with the education side of it to, to try and get to some place where I felt comfortable, confident, competent in, in sharing that with other people, um, which is still an ongoing process <laughs> <laughs> as it is for everyone. Um, and yeah, then launched the breath space, um, my practice, uh, alongside that and have been working with some amazing people, you know, working with clients, working with businesses, with, with athletes, with groups, retreats, um, anything sort of anybody and everybody, um, to introduce breathwork to them and, and the benefits of this, this full spectrum of, of what breathwork has to offer. Um, I think alongside all of that, I, I often forget that I, I, I've also done other things. Um, so I used to have uh, a very keen interest and still do, um, um, in the realm of sort of men's mental health and masculinity, um, and looking at, at gender and in relation to mental health. And I used to have a podcast myself called man down, um, for a couple of years that was on, on that topic. Um, and actually working on a new podcast with a friend of mine at the moment that is on that thread again of, um, masculinity and, and mental health and, and wellness. So, um, yeah, that's sort of how I, how I got here. Um, but the breath work and, and the breath space as a business is, is my, I suppose my, my bread and butter and my, my day to day and my, my passion. Um, so yeah, there's a bit of a, a bit of an intro to, to where I've been and, and how I got here. So uh, something really intrigued me there. Cause I see it a lot in, um, in clients and that is the symptom of, let's just call it depression for mm. a moment, just, just to make it easier for us to, to, to contain it. But that symptom of depression that comes when you become unaligned with your values. So you have core values, you have things that you desire and, and for whatever reason, you're not living up to them. And I, I don't know if I, I might be wrong, but I, I heard it there when you were talking and you said, you know, I was going towards investment banking. And I just, you know, I believe you could do anything you want, but I, you won't strike me as someone that would want to do that. <laughs> you know, so it's, a, it's interesting yeah. to me that. It's um it's a fascinating one. I think the the first ever book I read on of any kind of personal development, self-help, anything around this topic was um Lost Connections by uh Johan Hari. Oh yeah. Um and that I think kind of that opened my eyes to what you just described, which was this sort of this misalignment or um the old Brené Brown thing that I love the difference between fitting in and belonging oh, and I, yeah. I just got I, I became so adept and I know exactly why this process started for me um but I became so adept at fitting in to uh, at being accepted mm. and um chain ultimately like morphing who I was to fit what I thought would get me love I think yeah. is probably yeah, a pretty apt way to describe life for a lot of people yeah. um and what I realized you know, I've realized over the last sort of five to 10 years was I was just, you know, sacrificing authenticity for acceptance. And, and that is a painful thing to realize, but, um, an empowering thing to realize as well, because then you can start to actually take back some autonomy and some authenticity. And, um, yeah, that for me, I think as far as what I would term when I experienced depression was a, a, a symptom of that. It was just, you know, you know, past experiences feeding into it, but also just, just living a life that somewhere inside of myself, not necessarily consciously, initially and cognitively, but somewhere deep inside myself, I knew that that wasn't me. Yeah. Um, and so it was like a, a realization of that, but then eventually kind of a reclamation of that and like a getting back to, and I think that's a lot of what the healing journey is, is realigning and re realizing who you are and then coming slowly and gradually back to that um and making some mistakes along the way yeah and it's really scary place to be because you know that if you want to pursue fulfillment that you have to do things sometimes dramatically differently and that mm. is terrifying because mm -hmm. this is what like we said earlier 
we want to believe that we've got control and we know what's going to happen and that acceptance and that realization that we don't is terrifying a little bit sure. it's probably actually the very definition of anxiety yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I, I think i think often um this is a realization i had quite recently um with a piece of my healing journey that i've kind of been going through uh, of late which was the reason why we repeat patterns and the reason why it's a bit of like an upward spiral where some of the same stuff shows up even once you're aware of it, which is awareness alone isn't enough. And often it's only at the point where the pain of staying the same is bigger than the fear of change that you actually decide to change it's like this weird equation where it's like okay i cannot like i physically this hurts too much to stay the same so things have to change and that is scary and it's confronting but it's always it always serves the purpose that it needs to when it does happen i've got a friend called patrick who works a lot with people in in the addiction space and he says that if somebody comes to him his first question is have you had enough pain yet Mm. you know mm-hmm. because it kind of in order to make a substantial change like that unfortunately you just you, like exactly as you worded it you, you have to desire that more than you than this you know it's simple mm-hmm. as that you having this really painful experience but actually you're in pain now and this is going to be painful choose it you know yeah, choose choose your po- choose your pain pick your yeah, poison yeah, yeah yeah and 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 you know another thing i think is that's prevalent is that as we grow up we can adopt other people's preferences as our values and people can have these preferences and tell you their preferences and Mm. you feel you see how they're living their life there might be aspects of that you admire and you start to adopt their preferences as your value system and then slowly but surely that stops you from recognizing your own value system and then you fall out of alignment and before you know it you've committed to this big thing maybe it's uni maybe it's a job maybe it's whatever and you're like six years down the line like scratching your head going why am i so unhappy i've got everything i want and then you start to get in the mm-hmm. guilt and shame cycle <laughs> which yeah, exactly. is uh, a perpetuating thing so yeah it's uh it's really interesting I, I you know i'm really grateful for you sharing all that and um very curious about the whole masculinity thing that's that's interesting i saw that you had the podcast and when i looked it up it looked like it, it had stopped um yeah so i mean what what is that about for you what what do you mean when you that, say that? so that for me um looking back on it now i've not recorded that particular podcast for about a year and a half probably two two years um and that for me when i do listen back and when i look back on it like i see a different person like i see a a much earlier version of the person i am now um and it was it was a real without realizing at the time it was a it was very personal for me in terms of my own process and my own journey around in relation to my masculinity and and mm. my experience as a man i think it started it came from a place of, of pain and, and a bit of a realization that some of my challenges with my mental health weren't helped by you know traditional uh kind of patriarchal values of masculinity and how i you know lived and grew up as a as a man um i also it was it was quite acutely um sort of brought forward in a way I, I lost a friend from school to suicide in 2019 um and there were a lot of lessons and kind of things i took away from from that really difficult experience um that also related to sort of life as a man and men's mental health and really just like this this epidemic of male suicide um yeah. and so there was a real i guess drive and determination underlying it but then actually the process itself of those episodes was was therapeutic in a lot of ways it was me kind of tr- trying to understand this relationship between masculinity and vulnerability and and different experiences of being a man looking at other elements like race and sexuality within that and speaking to men who look like me men who don't look like me men who you know speak like me think like me and and those who don't as well um and it was it was such an amazing experience like I, you know one of my best best friends now was someone that came on my podcast and so that for me like serves its purpose in a, in a lot of ways because it, it taught me so much about myself as well yeah. and and you know I'm, I'm fortunate that it was able to support a lot of people along the way um and i had some guests that when i first started the podcast i probably 
would have laughed if someone had suggested that I might get Tom O'Dell on my podcast. So like, okay, yeah, maybe if I dream really big and then it, it all happened. Um, so yeah, I did, ended up doing about 60 episodes over two years. Um, and then, and it just, it, it felt like it had run its course. Um, but it's still something I, you know, it's still a cause that I'm very much involved in. It's like a personal fascination as well, sort of mm. masculinity, energetics, polarity, all of this stuff that's getting talked about a lot at the moment on social media as well. So, um, yeah, it's more of, I, I suppose, like a personal involvement now rather than anything overtly professional. Um, yeah. yeah. I think all good, po- po- all good podcasts are, I think, you know, <laughs> Unless you unless you're at a certain status in life, I don't think you go into podcasting to make money. <laughs> mm. You know, it's it's not about it's that's not the pursuit. For me, it's about the opportunity to learn from incredible people. Um yeah. and and I do. And I think it is a crime, you know, um, that you don't have a the podcast at the moment. And I'm very mm. pleased to hear that you're gonna look to go back into it. But I think one of the things for me with masculinity is the option of curiosity is allowing ourselves as men to be curious. Asking someone about their sexuality doesn't infer anything. It's just a question. It's it's just it's just showing an interest. It's being curious. It's trying to understand. It's trying to relate. And you can relate. And then you have the fear, oh, if I relate to this person who's gay, does that mean I'm gay? No, <laughs> it doesn't mean any of that. It, it might do, you know, and that's okay. Either is okay. But it's about having that understanding that, you know, we need to be more curious about things and we need to have a, a an openness and a willingness to understand other people's ways of thinking. I think that's, that's, there's a beauty to that. And it's a freedom to that, you know, yeah. a real freedom to that. Like, it's like racism, as you can imagine, I've encountered racism many times in my life and people ask me about it. And I say, to me, racism is about intention. Mm. What was your intention? Because a lot of people get jumped on for saying certain things in certain ways. Uh, I had a, a shared a story with with um with someone the other day. Um, my son plays rugby every Sunday, and I was standing on the side of the rugby pitch, and there was an older chap behind me, a uh, white man, and I live in Cornwall, so you know, all yeah. joking. <laughs> there's a lot of white people. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's not, a few. <laughs> yeah, there's not not a lot of black people in Cornwall. Uh, and uh, I was standing there, and this chap was telling a story, and he referred to someone as being coloured. And um, I heard it, but I didn't, doesn't affect me. I don't get, I don't respond to things like that really. It doesn't matter to me. And um, this, uh, everyone sort of gasped and looked at me and I was just like, right, look, cheering my son on, like, this is all good. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but then later on in the clubhouse, um, this lady comes over to me and she was very well-meaning and very lovely. And she just came over and she apologized to me. And I said, what for? And genuinely at that moment, I didn't know what she was talking yeah. about. And she said, oh, I heard the chap on the side there say the word colored. And I went, oh, okay. I said, listen, how old do you think he is? And she said, I don't know, maybe maybe in his 60s. I said, yeah. I said, to him, that is him trying to be politically correct. Mm-hmm. And just because the, the names change and things like that, it's sort of unreasonable to expect somebody of, of that age to, to, to catch up overnight, mm-hmm. you know? So I think it's about intention. And, and I think that we have to be a bit more open-minded these days and less confrontational about all the things that are changing in a way. Yeah. You know, hundred percent. Yeah. I, I, I love this conversation. I think that's, it's actually one of the big drivers behind our new podcast is, is um, sort of compassionate, um, compassionate nuance and actually yeah, inviting people that. on that, inviting people on that we might not actually agree with and yes. but trying to, trying to understand why and trying to understand their perspective. Um, and don't get me wrong. There's some people out there that, you know, I, I don't want to understand your perspective because what you're saying is just kind of abhorrent, but it would also yeah. be interesting to understand what is, what's your life experience and what's led you to the point where you're now saying this awful thing. Yeah. Um, and I, yeah, I, I've had some really probably in the last six months or so, some really amazing, interesting conversations with my parents who are both in their sixties. Mm. Um, and I do hold like a real sense of, I guess, compassion and, um, and empathy for the fact that things are changing so quickly. They are. And, and as you said, you know, <clears throat> that was that man's attempt, you know, an effort to do better yes. based on what he's heard. And, you know, he's not going to be on social media necessarily. So he's might, he's not keeping up with yeah. what's okay in, yeah. you know, inverted commas. And so, to jump on someone like that for, for actually trying, yeah. uh, even if they don't get it right, 
is really challenging and, and must be so difficult, especially, you know, everything in our lives is developing and changing at such a pace to expect everyone to keep up with it and get it right 100% of the time. It's just so unrealistic. And yeah. we're holding people to a standard that we can't even hold ourselves to a lot of the time. Yeah. And I mean, the animosity that gets caused unnecessarily with people just being curious and asking questions, but it's being mm. taken as offensive and yeah i'm not sure if it's helpful you know um my mate's got this saying he says if you're not being helpful you're being a dick <laughs> and i thought it's quite, quite helpful <laughs> but um yeah no it's a really great conversation um and oh, i'd love to continue that conversation at some point <laughs> but sure. um, we should probably talk about breath work <laughs> yeah we can <laughs> um obviously we all breathe every day and there are going to be people that might yeah i can imagine you've seen it many times people roll their eyes oh breath work well i've been breathing for so many times it's like yeah 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 um but what is it what is breath work for those people that want to <laughs> understand it what is breath work yeah it, it i i I've had to deal with, and not in a negative sense particularly, but like that is the the typical kind of um, less open-minded response is like, uh, don't need someone to tell me how to breathe. I've been doing it my whole life. Yeah. <laughs> Can imagine. Suppressed uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> anger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so the... And and this I, I'm always conscious to say is sort of my approach to this work rather than anything overtly gospel. Um, so I believe breathwork is an umbrella term that covers any way that we can use our breath to shift our state physically, mentally, or emotionally. Um, so that's sort of the 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 elevator pitch. And then within that, there lives this full spectrum that we've sort of mentioned so far. And and within that, um, I've defined three pillars. Um, sort of this is I guess my methodology and how I approach breath work which is functional breathing so how are you breathing day to day moment to moment how do you breathe when you're not thinking about it you know we we breathe 20 plus thousand times every single day what is your breath doing and how might that be supporting you or not supporting you Um, and what can you actually do to to address potentially underlying unconscious dysfunctions within your your natural state of breath um we then have the middle realm, which is more around nervous system regulation. So how can I use my breath as a tool? How can I consciously change my breathing to shift my state? Um, so to either, you know, shift up, you can use it to upregulate the nervous system or to shift down and calm and, and relax the nervous system. Um, so it acts as a bit of a remote control into our nervous system to, to create change if we want to. And then we have sort of the deeper end of the spectrum conscious connected breath work, healing modalities of breath work that are um, opportunities really to experience um, very profound healing states through the breath. So working with altered states of consciousness, working with uh, emotional processing, the subconscious mind, really kind of quite an expansive, interesting experience. And um, the reason that I like to lay it out like that is because one end of the spectrum is very different to the other. Mm -hmm. So, you know, how you're breathing now and a conversation around that is quite far removed from a transcendent psychedelic experience with breath work in another form. Um, and so that I view sort of as something that underpins a lot of my work is saying, you've heard the word breath work, but do you actually know what that means? You know, if you're walking into a breath work session, that could be anything along that spectrum. So we need to make sure that people are well-informed and, and well-educated on what they might be getting themselves in for. Um, so yeah, that's my sort of approach and my, my methodology around what breathwork is. What really surprised me when I did any breathwork was how hard it was. Mm. It's actually quite difficult. Like once you start to get to it, you know, if you start um, breathing to, a, to, to numbers, say you're, Mm -hmm. coming in for seven or an out for 11 or something like that that's quite difficult mm. that first one it's like you're very surprised you're like wow I, I don't know if i can do this this is hard you know but th that in itself is very is very telling i think you know mm. i was really surprised at how uh, how difficult i found it i i started I, I did yoga a few years ago for for various reasons and i absolutely loved it and then one thing led to another and i stopped doing it and i never got back to it and i've just recently gone back to it and i uh, just 
I think to my, I was thinking about why did I stop? I don't understand. I absolutely yeah. love it. It's like something I really look forward to. I only do it once at the moment uh, a week, but I'd love to try and do it again uh, another time. But it's mm. it's a you know yoga, breathing, all of that sort of thing. I find really um, really helpful. I'm not sure I can articulate why yet. There's a there's a peace that comes with it, um, and mm-hmm. a clarity that comes with it. Um, but I'm still not there yet as to what it gives me. I'm trying to work that out. Mm. But how has breathwork influenced your self-awareness and improved your relationship with yourself? Oof. Um, so it's, it's so, so many ways. Um, I think initially I was having this conversation with somebody yesterday when they actually asked me, you know, how's it, how's it helped you? What's it, what's it given you? And I was thinking back to when I first got into it and the place that I was in at that point in time as this relatively close-minded, pretty skeptical, um, early 20s rugby player. <laughs> and um, as someone who experienced anxiety for a very long time um, to varying degrees and severities, I was very used to feeling like a bit of a passenger to my thoughts and a bit of a passenger to my mind and, and triggers and everything. And, and it would be, you know, when I was having panic attacks, there'd be a trigger and very, very quickly I'd be having a panic attack with no real space in between those two things happening. Um, and I was like, Oh, here we go again. And actually to discover a tool that could help me create space in that kind of situation and actually give me a level of autonomy to respond to things that were going on in my life to say, okay, I feel that the impact of that trigger, what can I do in this moment with my breathing that might support me in like alleviating some of the intensity of what's showing up. And so that was really, really powerful from an anxiety perspective um, and continues to help me no end. Um, And then I had a number of experiences and continue to have experiences with this deeper end of the the breathwork spectrum, these sort of more standalone profound experiences that, you know, for anyone who has tried will know, um, you're just able to connect to different parts of yourself. And it's a little bit like what you're saying about the yoga. It's like, I'm not sure exactly why, but I know that there's something in this. And that was what kept me going with breathwork in the initial instance i was like i can't deny that there's something good happening here and we can you know there are different theories and hypotheses around what is going on but for me i was able to connect to my body in a way that i hadn't for a long time um connect to my intuition um get insights from those altered state experiences around um things that had happened in my past around experiences of um yeah these adverse experiences from childhood Um, And also it really allowed me to connect to a more broad emotional spectrum, I think, which is, which is really important. I think, especially around that kind of, again, that concept of depression, if we, if we want to call it that, which for me, you know, a lived experience of depression for me personally was very numb. It wasn't necessarily deep, deep lows. There were some, but actually it was just a bit of a gray sort of non-feeling. Yeah. Nothing brought me particular joy. Which is and horrible. It's a, a it's horrible a, it's, way to it's, feel. It's a really nasty yeah. kind of, yeah, sort of insidious experience. Yeah, and, it really is. Um, that for me, like I experienced in one session, I always remember this session, um, just this experience of joy. And like euphoria and i it was a reminder to a much younger part of myself that i could experience that and i think i just hadn't experienced it for so long that i forgot that that kind of joy existed um and so i was i was like this is a real lived felt experience that i can experience happiness like that and so it was just a reconnection to it and and so yeah it's given me greater self-awareness it's given me a real understanding of my nervous system and how I respond and how I can manage my response in certain situations. Um, it's, it, it, someone described it the other day as a bit of a Swiss army knife. And I do view it like that. Like there are a lot of things that we can do with something that is ultimately very simple um, mm. to support ourselves in a lot of different parts of our, our lives. I think there's no, I'm a strong believer that there is no silver bullet. There is no magic pill, but there are things that can sort of take us closer towards that full support for ourselves across physical, mental, and emotional and breathwork definitely falls into that camp. 
Yeah, I mean, you you gave me goosebumps there. You just, you really articulated that well. And I think what you did there as well is you you hit upon something that I feel personally is the crux of the challenges that men are facing. And that is that there's either an unwillingness or an inability to experience and understand the emotions that we're, we're having. And a lot of the time what we do is we fall back on anger. Mm-hmm. because we're frustrated and we're overwhelmed and we don't want to admit that we're embarrassed or we don't want to admit resentment or we don't want to admit disappointment whatever it is we don't want to admit it we don't we not to anybody else but to ourselves we don't want it to be true and mm. that that plight to not want it to be true to not let it be true ends up being anger and frustration mm. and yeah. and all of these things and i think a lot of the time when you know i talk a lot about anger because it's something that i've had to work through due to childhood experiences and um a lot of the time if if we suppress that anger which is tempting <laughs> mm. um we we end up uh letting it go inwards and we experience what most people will call depression you know mm-hmm. that will just attack you from the inside out um or it goes outwards and it looks a bit like rage you know mm. somebody nicks your parking space and you're ready to commit murder which is not yeah. a normal reaction yeah. <laughs> you know and that that you know so i think that what you're saying right there that that realizing you know because there are i i don't know how many emotions there are but there are a lot yeah so when you ask somebody you know what's the emotion you're feeling that's quite a stressful question. It is. It <laughs> really is. a real stressful question. So to, to identify it, it's a feeling and it's hard. Sometimes there's not the language. And I mm. think sometimes what needs to happen for men is they need to be offered a way to communicate their emotions. And then mm. when they communicate it, it, that feeling and that communication will, will balance out or, you know, 100%. feel, feel right. You know, so 100%. I think you, it sounds to me like that's what it did for you. It gave you that emotional language. Massively. And I think um, one of the really interesting things, I shared a post last year about um, the power of breathwork for men specifically. Um, I don't often speak to a specific group, but I, it, it was, I think it was International Men's Day or Men's Mental Health Awareness Day or something like that. So I was allowed. Um, <laughs> um, and one of the things that I think is incredibly powerful about breathwork for men and people who struggle with their emotional expression um, and struggle to connect to their emotions is that it can also be a, a non-verbal way to process. So you actually don't have to have the language. That's so nice. having the language is is powerful, but actually to have a felt experience of an emotion is also a really positive first step. And um, I was, <laughs> I was, I, I've been weirdly, not weirdly, that puts some level of kind of negative on it, but I've been interestingly um, and quite surprisingly moved by music a lot recently. Like I, I've always been, you know, music's one of my biggest passions, so I, I'm always really connected to it. But like I've had a couple of songs sent my way um, by friends that have almost moved me to to tears. Um, and I really view that. I was writing about it the other day where I was like, one of the lesser talked about and acknowledge markers of our well-being is do you actually have the capacity to be moved mm. like do can you allow something an experience of awe an experience of you know nature of of wonder of like you know i sometimes get it when i'm hanging out with my niece where i'm just like overcome by just like joy i'm just I like it's, you're feeding off their oh, energy lovely. Yeah. and and i think that is something that that a lot of these practices can give to us is actually once you start to feel those feelings it's really it becomes so much easier every time to connect to them. And actually mm. you start to find that things do move you in a way that maybe they didn't before. And yeah. I think that's all, when I allow myself to be like, oh yeah, like that really moved me. I'm like, that's a, that's a tick. That's a good sign because I'm open to that rather than being so like constrained and confined and, and numbed to those emotional experiences. Yeah, it's so interesting you talk, um, <clears throat> talk about music. Uh, last year I had a really unfortunate thing happen. And, um, you know, I, I felt sad mm. and I knew I could feel the emotion, but when I was a kid, um, I, I witnessed a lot of domestic violence and was subjected to some abuse as a, as a child, physical abuse. And, um, part of what happened was when my dad used to, uh, hit me, um, if I cried, he'd tell me to stop crying. Mm. So I, I taught myself to stop crying. Um, so I had, I developed, a. Uh, nothing to do with masculinity i just 
developed a really difficult relationship with tears and crying. And last year I felt at some point that I needed to cry. And I don't, I've never listened to Johnny Cash at all, but there's a song that he has called Hurt. Mm. And if I play that song around about the third time I play it, I'm in tears. I don't, I can't, yeah. I, I can't, I don't have an explanation for it, but it, if I know I need to cry and it's all very sad, I sneak off to the garage and you've got, yeah. he's got this grown man sat in the garage crying on his own <laughs> and it all sounds very sad, but I, I needed to, mm. I needed to get that emotion out, you know, yeah. and it was interesting to me how music was what I went to. So I, yeah. I totally get that. Yeah, that song, that song does it for me as well. It's, does it? Uh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. Oh, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> I think it's, it's, it's yeah. a, it's one of those tracks, I think, that's just yeah. like, whether you're listening to just like how he's singing it or actually the words themselves or yeah. the combination of all of, all of it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a beautiful, like, once you can get past that initial, like, oh, oh my God, like, I'm crying. It's like, it's a really beautiful thing to lean into because mm. so, mm. it, it, it helps you like yeah. but it also helps the people around you because you're not then projecting it out as anger or resentment or bitterness towards exactly. you know family towards partner towards kids like it's just mm. it it's in, uh, i think it's so it should so be celebrated in terms of like allowing ourselves to go to those places what i found interesting though was that i was determined and it wasn't conscious it was it, i don't know what it was but i wouldn't let my kids see it mm. You know, like I, you know, I was, I was hiding it away from them. And, um, and it's, uh, maybe it's just a, a little bit of a, a remnants of previous thinking, but I, you know, I've, I'm still working on it, you know, that my kids will see me cry one day or whatever. It's, it's, sure. it's, it's a strange thing. I can't really uh, articulate it very well, but yeah, it's an unusual thing. It's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 it's interesting. Cause I, I remember, you know, as a kid, uh, I remember seeing my mum cry and, it's a strange experience as a kid because mm. you know you, you view your parents as kind of superheroes for especially when you're really young and until you learn better um, <laughs> and um, yeah it's a strange experience but i do think it's an important one especially as a, yeah. as, as a dad i think mm. but but you know these are all processes right and like you'll find your way to to engage with that because their natural reaction probably would be like oh my god are you okay yeah rather than like and but then it's like the language and how you then go on from that and actually it's like yeah like i'm good i just studied dad just needed to cry yeah. um because i'm sad or because i'm this and that's like that's that gives me goosebumps and i'm, yeah. I'm not even a dad um yeah. so yeah well, i want that i want yeah. that i really do uh, but there's a block there somewhere that i'm working on like i want that i want to be able to show them that it's okay but yeah. i just i can't quite get there yet it's not it's not a willingness mm. thing i want to yeah. I just, it's like, I don't know. It's like having stage fright where you need to go for a wee. I suppose. 100%, man, 100%. A bit like cry. And then it gets a bit silly. Cause you're like, why am I not crying? Why am I willing myself to cry? What's happening here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it starts to become almost funny. So it's like, yeah, but no, it's interesting. Really interesting. It's, it's funny to me now, you know, I, I got you. Uh, there's something about you that I really wanted to talk to you. And uh, I thought it was going to be about breath work, but we spent very little time on breath work. It's interesting. I find that interesting. I, 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 I love it. I, I've, I've done, I've had a lot of conversations about breath work and I love it, obviously. Um, mm. And I, we're, we're get, we've had a nice kind of sprinkling of, of breath work, but I think it's <laughs> nice. Like, yeah. It's I nice like this other like stuff. It. Yeah, this other stuff's good too. It's good too. But I mean, I will, I will sort of come back to it. What I love is that every time we talk about breathwork, we segue into other things, which I think is your overarching point. I think that is yeah. the point that I'm starting to extract from this. And I, I loved that 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 phrasing you used, that passenger to my thoughts. So that's beautiful. It might even be the title of this. I think I, I did love <laughs> that. Um, but uh, what should people know about functional breathing, and how can this awareness impact other areas of your life? Yeah, I think that's a, a really good point and and an important question as a starting point for people because I right. think that it's it's the easiest place to begin engaging with with your breath and with breath work and I functional breathing as as I mentioned is sort of this this act and this process of of looking at how you breathe. Um yeah. so it's it's going from breathing your whole life as as you know the critics will say without thinking about it, not having to think about it. So then coming to a point where you listen to this conversation or you, you know, follow me on Instagram or you hear about breath work and all of a sudden you start paying a little bit more attention to it. Mm -hmm. And so it's then, okay, 
now that I'm paying attention to it, what should I be paying attention to and looking for? And uh, the, you can break down the sort of fundamentals of, of functional breathing fairly, fairly simply, I hope, which is an ideal optimal breath um, should be through the nose. It should be down into the diaphragm and the belly, and it should be slow and it should be relatively quiet and gentle. So you're looking for a like gentle, slow, deep nasal breath. That is kind of as simple as we can make it. If you're sat on the sofa, if you're in the car, if you're not really, if there's no external kind of forces acting on you from a physical perspective or a mental perspective, um, that's how we want to be breathing is, is through the nose and down into the belly and nice and slowly and gently. Um, there are sort of, I suppose, signs and symptoms of, if we call that the functional breath, what are the signs of a dysfunctional breath? And mm -hmm. sort of, it, I suppose it's uh, in a lot of ways, the inverse of that. So we're looking at very short, shallow, fast breathing into the chest, breathing through the mouth. Um, people who experience high levels of breathlessness. So, you know, getting out of breath very easily, always feeling like you need to take a bigger breath, um, juddery breathing, lots of sighing, um, and from a sleep perspective, things like sleep apnea, things mm -hmm. like um, waking up with a dry mouth and brain fog. Um, there's a few different kind of indicators. Um, and so within all of that, the real process that we go through is, you know, getting me in your ear, telling you about this stuff. So you, you're now thinking about it, but then actively practicing, okay, when I remember to, I'm going to breathe like slow and deep through the nose. And it's just like, you just build up that practice mm. sometimes very consciously where you'll sit and do a dedicated practice, but other times a little bit more subtly where it's just like, Oh, I've got five minutes here on the tube. I'm going to change my breathing. Yeah, that's um, and that's where I think the really good stuff comes in when you almost just make your breath sort of your reference point. And you're like, and, and this is again, a, a powerful thing that, that I found through my own experiences with breathwork, which was. I now do it almost without thinking, but it was definitely a conscious thing to begin with where I was going, I feel off. I feel stressed. I feel anxious. I feel jittery. I feel tired. What is my breath doing? Yeah. Looking nice. at that to connect to the body, connect to the feelings. But then also once I've got that connection, what can I now do actively with my breath to create a, a positive shift? And so it's almost becomes a way to understand where you're at, but also to shift where you're at if you want to. Um, yeah. So that's typically the journey that I try and take my clients on, especially as like, okay, we're going to start basic and we're going to gradually build up to it. Like I, I have started taking much more of like a personal trainer type approach to the work that I do with people privately now, because it's very much meeting people where they're at rather than just being like, everyone should do this kind of breath work. It's like, no, let's understand this person, their nervous system, their respiratory system, their life experiences, and how can we create something that's going to support them in the best possible way? Yeah, that you're so right, because that them emotions that you talk about, that you know, especially something like anxiety can severely impact the way you breathe. And it's it's interesting. We talked about that feeling of control. I think actually mm. what you've made me realize in the way you explained that was that breath work is one of the very is first of all, breathing's fundamental, but it's one of the very few fundamentals that you can actually control. Like you can't control the way your blood flows, for example. Well, you could, but it wouldn't be a good idea. Mm. <laughs> you know, so yeah. it's it's very interesting. I never thought of it quite that way, but that that's yeah. really helpful you've sort of accidentally hit on probably the underlying principle of why breath work is what it is, um, mm. which is, so the breath is, I'm basically going to put what you just said into slightly nerdier terms, which is, <laughs> thanks. So the, 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 breath, the breath is part of something called the autonomic nervous system. So the autonomic nervous system governs heart rate, governs pupil dilation, metabolism, digestion, breathing. Um, but the breath oh. is, the only part of that system that we can consciously control. So the breath within that can be unconscious and conscious. So we can breathe automatically as we do a lot of the time, but we can also breathe more consciously and intentionally. And so with that, um, we have a tool through the breath, a lever to influence the other parts of that system. So wow. you can slow the heart rate by slowing your breathing and you can shift, you know, the functioning of your immune system through your breathing. Like there's so much that the breath is our, entry point into these other functions um 
And I think that's why we're seeing kind of the rise in popularity and acknowledgement of it because people are going, okay, this actually makes total sense. And more importantly, I can feel the change. That is the yeah. best explanation I've ever heard of breathwork. That was <laughs> no, that was brilliant. That really was brilliant. That that is that's really uh, ticked the box for me. That is incredible explanation. Thank you for that. Thanks, <laughs> thanks, man. I appreciate it. No, that's brilliant. I love that. Definitely using that as a reel. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's amazing. Um, again, it's like shift spaces a little bit here. Um, we, we you know we've been going now for for a while, so I'm conscious of your time, but. Um, Something I'm really interested in is can practicing breath work support working through trauma? Big question for the end, right? <laughs> yeah, big question. Yeah. Um I find the the T word is something I think that has been a very positive and potentially challenging part of of social media psychology and wellness space. Um because there's a much better understanding of what it is, but there's also a lot of misunderstanding as to, to what it is. Um, so from personal experience and from professional experience of working with, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people, um, the answer to that kind of question, can breathwork help with, you know, processing of trauma? My answer would be yes. Um, not from an empirical evidence standpoint, which some people feel like they need for questions like this, um, but from more of an anecdotal experiential standpoint. Um, so when we dip into that deeper end of the breathwork spectrum, we're able to connect more deeply with both the subconscious minds, but also um, the emotional baggage that we hold in the body and sort of the physiological imprint of things like trauma um so yes essentially is the answer we're able to um you know often people will have experiences where they do connect to you know past events adverse childhood experiences mm. and they'll very physically feel that emotion or the sensations or they'll they'll be in that space and the breath work can actually help people to connect to that, but also to almost complete those unfinished stress cycles, those sort of emotions that they haven't quite fully allowed themselves to express in that moment. Yeah. That's where breath work comes in as a, a tool to help and support us through that. And that's where the facilitation of that to create sort of safety within that challenging experience in some cases um, is really important. Um, so yeah, I, I, I believe from my personal and professional experience that it can support in the processing of trauma. I mean, this is sort of like a work in progress, this thought that I'm having right now, but I can't help myself. Sure. <laughs> but like, uh, I often feel like trauma, one of the, um, symptoms or not symptoms, it's not the right word, but one of, one of the things that happens with trauma is we, we have a set of reactions. We, some people call it a trauma response. And the way I look at this reaction is uh, I love analogies. So imagine like a, a field and there's a well-trodden track and you take this track because everyone else takes this track. This must be the way through the field. And then one day you realize that that track takes you somewhere you don't want to go anymore. So you have to create a new track and that's hard because there's brambles and you've got to beat things down and you're not sure what direction you're going in. And it's all a bit scary. And you, what if you waste your time and all these questions that come around and there's an element of confidence that's needed and elements of reassurance. And I feel like with breath work, that feeling of gaining control of a part of yourself offers some sort of reassurance, some sort of confidence that allows you to not face, I don't, not quite sure how to articulate it, whether it's face the trauma or work with the trauma or acknowledge it, but it gives you something that, mm. that feeling of I'm taking control. I am literally taking control of a part of my body. And, you know, that breath work, you know, like you said, you can change your mood. So if you need to, if you need to be a bit brave, you know, in the face of fear, you can use breath work. If you need to relax and calm down so you can take in information and get clarity, mm -hmm. you can use breath work. And I feel like that might be, and again, I've, <laughs> I've got, I might have to edit it. I'm like, is this a real thought? Is this a rat? What yeah. is this? <laughs> you know, but I, I feel I, like. Yeah, I, 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 re I like that thread because I think, um, quite often the sort of triggered response or the trauma response 
will show up as almost it's a very present um manifestation of the past pain yeah um and i think that will show up in your nervous system right so that absolutely sends you into a space where you don't feel safe even if you might be safe and i always one of my favorite little sound bites um is uh that we experience life through the lens of our nervous system and so if there is a past event a trauma if we want to call it that, that is creating a feeling of unsafety and danger in the present moment through your nervous system, you do have a tool through breathwork to create a feeling of safety potentially. And so I think that is, yeah, one of the, I guess, very healing properties of learning how you can interact with your own nervous system. I think that's really empowering. It's very powerful. Um, and it gives us, yeah, it gives us that kind of ability to respond, um, which is, is, is lovely. It's all we, you know, we started at the top talking about control mm. and, you know, how much control can one ever really have, but mm. to have a, fe- a feeling of some level of control or more mm. control than you had before, that's really empowering. And that's, that to me is almost quite a nice definition of the healing process is actually learning safety and having a measure of control over things that previously caused you pain yeah and i think it's even in the word isn't it reaction it's like a a repeat action it's Mm. it's something you've learned you know you had a previous experience that was similar maybe triggers the same emotion of fear or embarrassment or whatever it is and your reaction is similar to the one you had originally or before Mm. you know and now what you have is like you said exactly that we come full circle you create you create space with that breath that title i don't know if you know how uh how metaphorical that title is that that breath space i'm I'm, I'm pretty confident (laughs) it's deliberate (laughs) you know that that you are you're creating that space where you're giving yourself that opportunity to make a choice Mm. you know and um uh, that's pretty yeah what an incredible answer i love that Thank you. Mate, it's just been wonderful, but I must let you go because it's been ages since <laughs> it's been ages. But just I always ask everybody at the end, um, is there anything you'd like to pass on to people that will help them with their self-development? Uh I think if we're on the same thread, um, and if I'm staying on brand, um <laughs> just just starting hopefully from this conversation to to deepen the connection with your own breath and your own body. I think it, it's so underrated. Um, as you said, just because kind of, just because it's, uh, simple doesn't mean it's easy, but Mm. it is something that can really support us. Um, and I think just always remembering, I think in the, the moments of the, you know, the highest suffering where you're, you're really in a dark place with a particular part of your journey or particular thing that you're going through, that tends to be the point at which change starts to happen. Um, and I can speak firsthand to that. You know, the the darkest, darkest moments were the the catalyst for the the biggest, biggest growth. Mm. Um, and so finding things, and this is where I go off brand. And if I had a manager, which I don't, um, yes. they would they would hate me. Um, <laughs> but that doesn't have to be breathwork. You know, I, I'm a big. You know, breathwork can be amazing for a lot of people, and I really believe it's one of the most accessible things that we have access to. But it's not for everyone. And I'm mm. okay with that. And, and we should all be okay with that. And so it's about finding the things that work for you personally um, and trying different things and seeing what sticks um, yeah. because what works for one person won't work for someone else. There's no one size fits all approach to, to healing. Um, and so just finding the things that, that work for you and just keep on, keep on going. Uh, there's a quote that I heard the other day while I was out on a run listening to a podcast that said we don't grow in spite of the storm we grow because of the storm well Um, yeah i'd love that 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 for me is is something that keeps me going um more often than not jordan peterson talks about how growth happens when it's triggered by these life events it actually those life events trigger that 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 necessity for that new growth you know Mm. um it's like the way i think of it love analogies is like the tree that has the the, the stick next to it when it's growing and it's like that that one that doesn't learns to to deal with the weather and the change without 
the stick. It, it digs mm. deeper roots. It, it becomes stronger because it's adapting to its environment. Whereas the one that has the stick relies on the stick until the stick breaks. And then what, mm. <laughs> you know, so yeah, it's a nice analogy, but just before we, we go off one again, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, um, what's next for you and where can people find you? Yeah, it's um, more of the same, I suppose. I've got yeah, a number of retreats out this year uh, that are starting next month. Um, couple down in Cornwall, down your neck of the woods, uh, um, and one in Portugal in August. Um, and yeah, beyond that, I think I, I'm, I'm working on a few bits in the background. I've got a 21 day online course that is self-serve kind of very much a, a starting point for people who might be curious about getting into this work. Um, I do in-person events in London. Um, I'm trying to think what else, some online group programs, um, I'm busy basically. Um, so yeah, there's lots of different ways. I think the, yeah. the best, the best way to, to keep in, in touch with all of that is, is Instagram. So it's at the underscore breath underscore space, um, and the breath space.co.uk. Um, and yeah, I publish everything through those two. So if people are Perfect. curious, I'm always, always happy to chat, uh, always happy to answer questions. Um, so yeah. Wow, that's perfect. So, so um, your twenty-one day course that that can all the information for that's in in those two platforms. Yeah, that's all on my website. Yeah, perfect. Jamie, thank you, brother. This has been amazing, and uh, I hope to do it. I'll find an excuse to do it again at some point. I'm sure. Absolutely. But mate. Thank you so much, mate. Amazing. Thanks so much for having me, man. So that's all from me for this episode. Thanks again to my podcast producer, Charlie from Chatter Podcast. And I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Self-Development Podcast.